This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. Today my guest is Mr. Olivier Go. He is the founder of Oligo Watches. Olivier, welcome. Hi, uh, hello. <laughs> Thank you, Ariel, uh, for the opportunity. So the first thing uh, that you said we were chatting before the podcast, and I think what's interesting is we don't really know each other. A lot of the people I have on the show I do know, but not all the time. Um, and you were saying that you'd listened to shows before. So you probably maybe feel like you know me a little bit better than I know you. But tell me some of the things that you have learned from the show. I always get curious, right? Because I always think like, oh, that's something people will be interested in. Or I want people to start watch brands to know that. And again, I don't know if there's anything on your mind, but like, what have you learned from the show? It's it's um, it's very interesting. Um, you know, I, I always try to listen to something when I work at the bench. That's where I probably have most most the time um, to listen to podcasts or music or anything. And uh, and yeah, recently I, I discovered post- podcasts and um, a lot of different topics. Uh, discovered discovered use um, and probably <clears throat> what what I learned uh, on on your podcast is the variety of um, people and uh, watches and opinions in the watch industry, which is which is really interesting. It's a lot, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Everyone has an opinion on lots of different matters, different ways to uh to create a brand uh ways to uh market sale and etc and i also i also feel that as you know young creators um start, starters of brands we all struggle with uh different um things you know sometimes it's uh, finding suppliers sometimes it's selling sometimes it's creating patenting or anything so it's 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 really interesting thank you for sharing that i, I w- what i try to find in the conversations i have with people is telling this bigger story that making even just one watch it's it's not hard necessarily from a technical sense but from sort of a emotional uh, a creative business sense so many different types of questions and answers have to occur. And it's a lot more than I'm making a watch and I'm selling it. It's what kind of watch am I making and who's going to make it and who am I going to sell it to and who's going to sell it to them and what are they supposed to feel when they buy it? And all these different types of questions, as you said, have all these different answers. I feel, I'd love your opinion, I feel that this adds to the diversity, which is the watch industry, which makes it interesting and dynamic. Otherwise, there'd be a lot of the same watches. And so I kind of put up with it because it means that there's so much product out there, right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I think you're, I think you're right. Um, especially for, you know, small and young, young brands, uh, so, such as Oligo, um, that basically come from one or two creators. Um, when we, when we create something like this, we put a lot of, uh, of ourselves in the product. So it becomes very personal, you know, the, the, the products that you create. Uh, represents yourself, your values, what you like, what you don't. Um, so it's it's completely true. And in the case of Oligo, uh, it it all started from a design uh, idea, a design envy that I had to create something very sleek, very simple. <clears throat> and I was I was lucky enough to turn this idea into a product. So when you mention bench, you hear watchmaker. So obviously we know that that is part of your background to starting a brand. Um, and you also mentioned simple concept, which to me is very interesting because this is where brand DNA comes in. Usually, even in the first product, you see something which is going to carry on into many of those. So talk a little bit about you know starting the brand and what, what was the simple idea uh, that you built a brand around? No, so so basically, it's it started as 
almost I would say almost as a joke with with my best friends. Uh, we both watch geeks. Um, he's a watch constructor. He trained as a watch constructor and engineer. And I I love watches. Uh, so we were discussing about the novelties maybe in maybe 10, 10 years ago and, mm-hmm. uh, around the Basel Fair time. And then I was, I was explaining to him that I was feeling that all of the watches, you know, were becoming bigger and bigger and, uh, the dials were busier and busier. And, um, I, I just wanted to make, to make something that was, Coming back to the basics of design, very simple lines, uh, sleek, uh, and pure. I'm, I'm a fan of, uh, of, uh, Galais stones forms. Uh, so we just started drawing on, on, on a napkin, basically, uh, at, at the, at the coffee where we were. And then in the evening, we went back to his place. Uh, and because he's, he's a watch constructor, he opened his laptop, his pro engineers, and he said, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's draw something. And then after the whole night <laughs> spending drawing, you know, and a few beers, we, we scratched our heads and we thought, well, actually maybe it might work. And that's, that's how it, it started. So what did you initially think would not work? Cause you said it was a joke. And again, this is. This is very indicative of how a lot of watches get started, actually, where one or two people be like, let's brainstorm, let's have fun, not really necessarily taking it seriously. And then you say, maybe, why not? Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, what, tell, what, what was the joke that you said to yourself? No, that wouldn't make it into a watch. When, when I say a joke, it's, it's more of, um, as, as you said, the laid back uh, discussions and then ideas. And then, um, because it became, it became real so quickly, uh, on the screen, uh, you know, you could, you could almost touch, touch it, touch the product. And then that's, that's where we felt, well, actually we might be onto something. And one of the first, idea that we had was um you know the lugless design yeah because because um i used to work for christie's in the in the watch department uh the auction departments and you know lug design is is extremely complicated in my opinion because there are so many different types of lugs and then the, sure. the lugs on the watch gives gives a, a touch of personality in the design and I thought, well, designing lugs is, is extremely complicated and it might be tricky. So why, why, why not, you know, getting rid of them and then try to do something even, uh, simpler in terms of design and just, just a round, round watch and start from there. And that's basically where we started. So let me, let me get this straight. And again, I, I appreciate these types of exercises, but you wanted, you said watches are getting big and complicated. Let's let's do a sort of a reduction, a, mm-hmm. a sort of a, a creation of efficiency. You know, this is fun design exercises that, again, only design nerds ever seem to understand. But <laughs> the idea is to take something and reduce as much as you can while it still is the thing that you want it to be. And you know, again, in like design school, this is this is the thing that is done. But then actually, sometimes it ends up being quite attractive with the result. And I see that. I mean, if you, if you look at the, if the Oligo watches, um, they are a round case uh, where the strap is attached directly to the case or sort of a, a section carved out. Not, not a new concept, but again, a lugless look. And then I think, and again, I don't mean to be saying it for you, but I think one of the, the ultimate minimalizations is a reduction in, in the hands connection. Mm-hmm. The hands aren't too small, but this is sort of a form of a mystery dial, if you will, where the way that the hands are connected is not obvious. It's obviously done through transparent discs. I yeah. mean, this has been done for over a hundred years, you know, Cartier <laughs> yeah, with their definitely. mystery clock. So the, the secret's out, sorry to <laughs> no, say. No, there's but, no problem. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, that's, that looks like what it did. You and your buddy, who's the watch constructor, and it requires that a watchmaker and a watch constructor uh, to, to have this design exercise. And this is the result, right? Yes, well, the story behind the discs actually is, is, is quite funny because, um, I, I wanted to work with, uh, you know, discs because 
because I saw that on a few watches and I, I thought they were interesting. But um, to be to be completely honest, at the beginning, I wanted to work with plain discs because it's much easier, you know, to have just a plain disc, colorful discs. Um, and then very quickly, uh, we, we realized that um, if you work with plain discs that you simply attached um, from the center with, with a pinion, then the hour disc is uh, below and the minute disc is on top. And if you want readability, uh, then you would need to have a, a bigger hour uh, disc and then a smaller um, minute disc. And then in terms of time readability, it doesn't become uh, as intuitive as uh, it is when you look at a watch normally. So the, the, the right. hour hand would be longer and on the outside and the minute hand would be shorter and on the inside uh, of, the, of the dial. And for me, it, it doesn't make sense. You know, what, what right. I wanted was ease of readability of time. So as soon as you turn your wrist, you can pick up the time and you understand. You don't need to think about it. So that was, that, so yeah. These are not overlapping discs. They're, they're not, isn't that what they, because I, I thought these were overlapping. No, discs. they are. They are. But the, the, that, the reason why they are in, in glass and they, they need to be transparent is because of this concept of uh, readability of time. So the oh, okay. Hands, so yeah. If if you look at at the oligo watch, then you immediately you can you can understand the time, even though there are no uh, indicators, uh, there are no in, indexes. Um, at least the hour hands and the minute hands are s- still you know traditional in terms of uh, time readability. So I think what you're doing is comparing these to other types of disc based systems, which. Um, the discs themselves turn and you see them turn and they don't overlap, but one is when, within the other. And that has been a traditional way of having an hour to minute through a disc-based system. And I agree yeah. with you that the legibility on those, no matter how hard they try to make it sound cool, like it's digital time, for the brain, it's very weird. I'd rather have an arrow point to something than the thing moving along the arrow. Yeah, exactly. Which is what it is. Now, I, you know, I, again, I think that the concept of this sort of dial without hour markers was probably most popularized by the, the museum dial, the, the, the Nathan George, George Nathan, or Nor, uh, Nathan George Horwitz, I always forget, <laughs> I mix it up, uh, that Movado yeah. used for their dial. Um, this was done, you know, long time ago now, you know, a couple generations ago, and he had yeah. a dial that had just hands, and then there was an orb at twelve o'clock, which represented the sun. Yes, which was kind of interesting. And you, you have that orb on the dial. It's not at twelve o'clock; it's in the <laughs> middle. And I'm guess it's there. I'm sure to to put a, a to to block the connection point, so you don't have this ugly thing in the center. Yes, but right. it's actually sort of like if you mixed up the Movado dial and like a shaker. This is sort of a reformulation of it almost. Ah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting that you say that um, because no, for you know, for us, for for me, I, um, again, I, I just wanted to come back to the basics. You know, I love numbers. I love uh, indexes. Uh, again, I come I come from the vintage world uh, in terms of, uh, of watchmaking. So. Uh, collecting, uh, and then my time at Christie's really, you know, had an impact on me um, in terms of uh, of design and, and loving watches. Uh, but but also, it's it's a very tricky exercise to have the correct numbers, the correct indexes, uh, and it can be so easy to complicate things with uh, numbers, indexes, and the name of the brand, uh, and then an indication of, uh, uh, water resistance and et cetera on the dial and trying to reduce that to, to its minimum, meaning nothing is, is something that was important for me to come back to the basics. So it's just a plain dial with floating hands. 
So let me remark here, because I think what you're saying is interesting. And this design process requires on the human beauty calculator, which is our brain, right? There's no mathematical measure for beauty. There's no guide. You can be like, these things are beautiful and these things are not beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, the best measure we have is our own brain. And we look at something and and that's essentially what we're doing. We're like, okay, that watch dial. All right, I know it's a watch dial and I could read the time. But then the next question is, is it beauty? It's beautiful. And why that's relevant is because if it is beautiful, you're going to want to look at it more. And if it's not beautiful, you don't want to look at it as much. Mm -hmm. And so you have this history of watches to look at. So you ask yourself, again, it's quite subjectively, you know, what is beautiful, what's not. And then you use that to design your own things. And that's why it's funny when these people try to design watches that don't know watches, that don't have the experience looking at hundreds or thousands of watches that you know you can get being in the auction world very easily, is they don't have this intuitive sense of what isn't isn't beautiful. So I love seeing these designers come aboard that you know may have great design credentials, but they don't have any watch credentials and they make things that are sort of weird. And I'm like, wait a minute, you didn't spend 10 years of your life looking at watch dials or, or longer. To, to know what's good and what's bad, just intuitively, they lack the intuition. And I think it's interesting because there's a sort of a beauty intuition when it comes to a watch dial mm-hmm. that anyone that looks anyone that looks at enough watches will gain, but it's too difficult to teach if you haven't looked at thousands of dials, right? No, that's that's completely true. Um, and then again, as as you said, it's it's very subjective. Uh, something that might be uh, you know beautiful for someone uh, can be ugly for someone else. Uh, that's also the the um, the beauty of it is we all have our own opinions um and then by you, you know t- trying to get rid of as much as possible is also trying to get rid of um any possibilities of something you know getting something wrong uh if you do something so simple then there are more chances that you get it right than you get it wrong but then at this at the same time uh, it's also very polarizing uh, in terms of I like it or I don't like it. It's so simple that it's too simple for me or I like it because it's very simple and sleek and unique and pure and et cetera. Well, you, you, you hinted at something which I call, this is my own term, I call it the flirtatious why. <laughs> and this is when something otherwise nice and basic has a small change to it and you're not quite sure why it's there. And the perfect example of this is actually in the beauty world where I actually have no idea what it's called, but I, oh, I no, it's the beauty mark. You know, like women would put or had naturally like a small mark, like kind of under their nose, yes. on their lip, kind of close to their cheek. They would take an otherwise beautiful symmetrical face and just add a dot, a non-symmetrical dot. And for whatever reason, <laughs> it made the face more interesting because, again, it's a flirtatious why. Yeah. It, it's still nice. It, ca- it draws more attention. But you don't even know why you like it. You're like, that shouldn't be there. But you like it. And so there is this thing that, that if you do it correctly, you get the beauty mark. But if you do it wrong, it's just the, it's just the ugly thing. Yeah, no, correct, correct. It's 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 always very difficult and interesting at the same time uh, to 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 realize if you get it right or get it wrong. Um, to be to be completely honest, I don't know if if I really got it right or wrong. <laughs> I hope I did, but uh, you know, um, only only time will tell. So you're on to your second model now. I mean, it can't be that bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm, you know, I'm very creative. So, so yeah, I had, I had to, to uh, I had to create something, something else. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit more about your time at the auction house because you actually went in a very interesting direction. Most of the people I know who have worked at auction houses or in the auction world end up being very conservative in their taste, meaning they're mostly around vintage watches which have a very specific kind of look. They're not particularly playful. They're nice. They're well-made, you know, they're, they're, but they're not necessarily artistic or playful. I'm guessing that something like your watch is not the type of watch you would normally see at auction. And so I'm wondering how you were able to take yourself out of that conservatism that ends up um, defining many of your colleagues 
and also what it was about a very different design that made you felt like there was a good chance of being marketable. Because when people start their brand, it's a very difficult question. People should know this. They a lot of people know they want to start a brand, but oftentimes, what do I end up making first? Is 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 it almost paralyzing question mm. for some people? No. Well, I started working for Christie's just just as a, as a viewing assistant uh, during my studies. Um, and that's, that's where I completely fell in love with, uh, with watches. Uh, and then because I was extremely lucky and I had the, the best and nicest watches in the world in my hands, I started, you know, becoming interested and even fascinated, uh, by, by watches in, in general. And that's where I started, you know, researching googling and then uh interesting myself in in watches and because i'm based in geneva and there's this there's there's the the flea markets in geneva so rapidly i I would go to the flea market and you know uh just just browse and then buy buy watches first pocket watches vintage watches uh and then trying to learn getting to you know, know the brands, uh, and then through Christie's catalogs and the auctions, and then through uh, the the the, um, the flea markets, I I started you know to gather a bit of uh, of a taste of what I wanted, what I liked, uh, what I didn't like, and yeah, that, that's that's how it started. You have to talk a little bit more about these Geneva flea markets because I've heard stories about these. And again, most of the world, if you go to a flea market, you're not going to find a lot of wristwatches, probably some. But is it true that there's, you know, maybe a little bit more watches at the Geneva flea market than others and there's some good things or is it harder these days? Just help people that have never been to one of these flea markets understand a little bit about what makes them special in Geneva. No, so um, at the flea market in, in Geneva, it's um, it's very special. So some some of some dealers um, might have only watches, and they're specialized in in watches, vintage watches. Uh, and then at some different dealers, it's it's much more uh, broad. Uh, so you will find vintage furnitures, clothes, um, all kinds of objects. Uh, and then sometimes at the, uh, at the bottom of a box, uh, because it's, it's someone who maybe, uh, you know, bought, uh, the whole apartment of an end, el- elderly, uh, person who, who was deceased, uh, then, you know, they might not know everything which is, uh, of value in, in, in this apartment. And then sometimes at the, uh, bottom of a box, you might find uh, Paul Ruter, uh, universal Paul Ruter, and then you ask for the price and they're like, oh, I don't know, maybe 50, 60 Swiss francs. And then, you know, you hit the jackpot at that time. That's amazing that you can find those types of treasures, right? Because I think that one of the reasons why people love this hobby is a little bit that treasure hunting. You can either wear a watch while you're treasure hunting or the watch is the treasure that you're hunting. Yeah. And oftentimes the hunt is actually more appealing to some people than the watch, right? Like, you know this, you've had this story, maybe yourself or you've heard it from others. They have this whole big story about getting a watch years and years and years and I traveled to the far ends of the earth and I spend untold amount of money. And then when they get it, what's the first thing they do? They're like, okay, what do I get now? What's yeah, next? exactly. No, it's it's the thrill, you know, the, the thrill of it, the thrill of, uh, at least for me, at, at the flea market, what I like is... You know, try to find, uh, the, the, the unfindable, uh, thing. So, so something that you would not think you could, you could find at the bottom of a, of a box. Cause there are many, many watches that, that you can get at the flea market, especially in, in Geneva. Uh, because it's, 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 uh, it's known for watches and there are a few watch, you could even call them watch dealers, uh, um, but tra- finding, for example, in my case, I was, I was lucky enough to find that, that universal Paul Ruter that I actually paid. Maybe, oh, so you found it? Yes, 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 yes. Twice. Oh, lucky I have, you. I have to. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I, I paid, I don't know, not even a tenth of, of its value today. 
part. Right, right. I, so, so that that feels good that you actually you did the hunt, and it sounds like more than one time you were rewarded. Yes. Better better odds than Vegas, right? <laughs> Correct. No, no, no. Well, you know, it, it requires patience and uh, and you know, just just being lucky um, because I know exactly what I want. Uh, again, I'm lucky enough to to have been working at at, at Christie's for quite some time. So uh, you know, I know what condition is. I know what uh, you know uh, collectability or value is. I know exactly what I want. So for example, if if I want a pole router, I know the condition. I know the model. I know what it's supposed to look like. And if I if those conditions are not met then i'm i'm just not going to buy well of course because it's sort of like when you when you see how the house is built you know about every flaw and you can't stop seeing them if you're like a regular person you're like okay it's a house it looks more or less nice but once you know really what to look for every little flaw that like the auction house is afraid of showing in the pictures because yeah. it'll reduce value you see immediately and and I think honestly, for me, the solution to that is just buy new watches, right? Because if you're so worried about condition, buy brand new. That's that's completely true. That's completely true. And and yes, yes, <laughs> correct. If if you want something that's uh, you know reliable and uh, and also feels new, then just buy new. It makes more sense. Well, I want to be also a little bit kind to the collector who really wants something hard to get on his or her wrist. And it's easy to make fun of because the things that are valued as being hard to get, you know, sometimes they're not really that valuable. But like there is a thing where there's a lot of collectors out there who just kind of get off on the idea that the thing on their wrist is like known to be rare Mm -hmm. and they don't care if it's beautiful they don't really care if it's valuable, really, though that does help a lot. But the idea that like they have bragging rights, it's 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 part, you know, it's, it's human psychology. It's not it, it's not new. Yeah. It's just kind of funny that they sit there and they tell a whole big story about why they like this. I'm like, could you just be honest about it and say <laughs> that you just really like wearing something that other people don't have and can't have, but they want? Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's true. Um it's you know for me at least uh, also wearing a watch and then having it on on the wrist is also um, something that that you you display and you show to others. So if you can stand out uh, by not having you know the the standard watch or uh, you know status status uh, brands where you show off and because I am part of this club of Rolex owners or uh le Coultre owner or etc. And then you have something unique. It's also elegant and even even more chic for me to have something that maybe has value but n- nobody knows it. Only you and a few other people know it. And that's also what's what's interesting. Hi, I'm Ariel Adams, founder of a blog to watch with a message from eBay, a platform I probably use daily. Make sure your watches are the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. I believe it's the first and best service of its kind that protects your luxury purchases and checks each watch individually at eBay's highly reputable authentication partner, Stolen Company, in the United States. From band to bezel, their authenticators ensure each wristwatch matches the eBay listing and is the real deal. Authenticity guarantee is also very fast. Once authentication is complete, your watch is securely delivered via rapid two-day shipping. Surprisingly, eBay's authenticity guarantee service is free for all watches priced $2,000 and up. No one should buy a luxury item without an authenticity guarantee. Do what I do and check eBay before each watch purchase because everyone deserves real. So let's take that to your watches. What do you want that to say? Like when you when you have somebody out there wearing the watch and there's a third party that sees that watch being worn on someone else, what do you want the message to be? I, and I, again, don't think too hard about it. And maybe you haven't even written that into your brand yet. But if we're <laughs> up to you, what would people think about the person wearing the watch? Uh, wow, that's that's a very cool question. You know, f- for me, there, there are two two main points of values in in oligo uh and the first is uh the design of the products 
So I think the first thing that that would be someone else's reaction to to someone wearing an oligo is, wow, that's that's a cool watch. That's a nice watch. And when they look at it uh, closely, oh wow! And uh, the how does it work? How are the hands working? Because they seem to be floating. And this for me is is the most important is to 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 capture the attention of people and and just that sense of surprise i hear the i hear curiosity you didn't say it but i hear <laughs> the concept of curiosity do you want people to be curious and then think that the person who is wearing it is also someone who curiosity is a main facet of their personality yeah def- definitely um, it's funny that you say curiosity because it's completely true. Uh, for example, the first thing that I, that I, you know, look at when, when I cross someone in the streets, I, I don't know, as a reflex, I, I check their wrist to see what they're wearing. And everywhere I go, if there's an evening, I categorize people by, um, their watches basically. And so I, I, I'd like to think that my clients, you know, oligo clients, uh, proudly wear their watches in an evening and then, uh, you know, some, somehow, uh, gets the curiosity of other people just by wearing the watch. So here's an interesting thing that I, I, I like to point out, you know, and you say, you know, from Geneva, and there's a very specific way that watches are presented in Geneva, and that is as a treasure. You know, the white glove treatment, it has its own vitrine. You know, even though it's small, you treat it like it's the size of a car and it's just as important as a building. Yeah. Which is appropriate if you live in a society where watch appreciation is is understood. Outside of that, it's very weird when you're walking by a watch store in any given city. Think of like, you know, in, in, you know, in Hong Kong. Well, mm-hmm. Hong Kong, they do a little bit differently. But like anywhere, really, it's just where the watches are presented as treasures with very little context as to who treasures them and why, or why they're treasures. And, you know, they find that people have to live in this culture of watch appreciation and collecting for many years before they start to understand what these brands mean. Even then, like Along and Zona, love the watches. What does the brand mean? I have no idea. Yeah. You know, like, like, I don't think they've ever made an attempt to say anything other than, uh, the best German watches, we think. Like, yeah, okay, probably, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> that's that's a matter of interpretation. The best traditional German watches, okay, you know. So, I, I I think what's important is to recognize that brands are shy to create a personality, but when sometimes personality has been accidentally given to them, that could happen by a celebrity wearing them or them being featured in a particular movie or show or maybe type of context. But mm-hmm. like the, the context within which the watch is worn now gives the watch a personality. And that personality can be insanely valuable and the brand can, can survive generations on that. Yeah. But you still have very few brands basically saying like, okay, if there was people fighting wars in space, they'd be wearing our watches. So we're going to create a bunch of like collateral, like art and videos and design work to show you what we're talking about so that you know what we're thinking about when you see our watches. But mm. what they, they don't do that. What they do is they're just like, our watch is floating in space. <laughs> Imagine it as well on the most generic wrist you can think about. In fact, one which is probably an 18-year-old and can't even afford that watch, that's the best that we're going to do in our ad. Like, it doesn't invite the consumer to have any association with what this watch is supposed to mean. It's assuming the consumer by themselves is enough of an engineering design and horology nerd that they understand the product in a vacuum. <clears throat> yeah. Right? Like there's there's no there's no thing that else that's doing it. And, and the car industry understands like most people don't know anything about the industrialization of automobiles. We have to create and invent a motion to sell something that people actually even need. And in watches, we know that no one needs it. Yet there's so little effort spent into creating the mythology of what wearing a watch is and the visuals. There's little bits and pieces of it, but like it's mostly missing. No, I, I think you're completely right. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny because um, when, when I started the brand, uh, obviously, you know, I, 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 it all started uh, with the products. Uh, and then the more 
uh, it became a reality, the more I started to think, well, actually it, it might work as, as a brand. Um, and then up until recently, I, I, I didn't feel completely ready uh, to launch Oligo as, as a brand and then quit my job and start this. Um, but, but, but then I started because I had to, <laughs> um, and I, I started, you know, to think about personas. So who, who's going to wear, uh, an Oligo watch? Who am I talking to? Uh, and because I'm a watch geek, um, am I talking to watch geeks or am I talking to, to a different crowd, different people? And what for me, what, what I wanted to do is try to, um, speak to someone who's not a watch geek, uh, necessarily. Cause you know, uh, Oligo, the, the first model, Oligo, uh, blue, black and brown, they're not extremely complicated. They, they use, uh, Soprad M100 movements, which are very good automatic movements, but it's still, you know, a, a standard movement in, in terms of its, its mass produced. But then it has its different design and a different approach, uh, of, of the product. And basically I thought, well, maybe I can talk to, uh, you know, s- someone who's attracted by design objects or a piece of art or, uh, you know, a nice painting, nice prints. And then they're not watch geeks. So they don't feel comfortable walking into um, a standard white glove watch saw, as, as you said earlier. Uh, but rather I'd, I'd love to meet the, 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 the creator of the watch or the watchmaker, uh, personally in a, in a coffee or, uh, I don't know, somewhere else in a, in a cool place, which is different than, the standard watch world. Uh, and then for me, this, this is a crowd that's interesting because they're not necessarily collecting watches. Maybe they don't have one yet. Uh, but they're, they, they, they see Oligo and they think, well, it might be uh, something that I could wear as, as a design. Plus there's, there's this, um, the values behind the brand, which are matching mine as well. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's, you know, a a wonderful goal and a great position to be in if you can achieve it. I think it's a very common approach, which makes sense given, you know, where your background is and where you grew up and stuff like that. But I think that there's a problem there where it assumes the world has more, I'll call them watch art appreciators than there are. Because what you're talking about is really selling watches as though it's art. Let me talk to the maker let me have the 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 proof that it was you know it legitimately took a long time to make like a lot of things related around making the making you feel comfortable about the high price and making you feel comfortable that it's like a prestige thing mm-hmm. which is great and all but that's not why most people buy watches most people buy watches to wear them not necessarily have these things that they have to baby and are really looking for things that augment their their life, very much thinking about them as in terms of accessories. And I hate that term because it kind of cheapens it, but at the end of the day, they want to wear it and do stuff with it, right? They want to have it as part of their stuff. Yeah, um, sure. It is an accessory. And so I think the problem is this sort of idea of let me present this thing to you on a gl- it's so fragile i have to wear gloves <laughs> yet you're supposed to wear it and uh feel confident it's going to last for 15 or 20 years or, or or longer like these things don't go together and i think that people like to be shown what to do with this and so you know rolex for example again part of it is through rolex's effort part of it is just how culture works yeah you know they see the watches worn out there. Winners are wearing it. Famous people are wearing it. Race car drivers are wearing it. You know, rich people are wearing it. Mm-hmm. There's this I, there's this example out there of like, this is what to do with a Rolex. And the question is, is there an example of out there of this is what to do with an, with, with, with an Oligo, right? Is, is there, this is what to do with an X brand watch. There are so many different ideas of what to do with this watch, who should wear it, and while they're doing it, you actually have to tell people, this is what we, we designed the watch for. This is what we imagine people doing with it. If you, if you don't go far enough to actually suggest that, you rely on just those avant-garde art lovers, first 
you know, the first adopters, the, sure, I'm willing to spend a bunch of money on a design object to impress my friends. Like, they're out there, and we love them, and we need them, but they, they still represent such a minority. You get more outcome by basically saying, like, this is, this is what you're supposed to think when you see our watch. The good news is you have a broad flexibility what to do. You don't need yeah. to be constrained by anything. Your design is so open-ended, it could be anything. <laughs> no, you can make true. it the watch of curiosity. Put it in curious situations. And, and, that's, and that's sort of an amazing opportunity you have. It, you, it's more work to do, but do you see how that creates opportunities by having such a simple design? Yeah, no, sure. Um, I, <laughs> I completely understand what you're saying. Um, and, and it's funny because, uh, also I, you know, um, at the moment, most, most of my clients are actually, I, I, I would say more watch geeks than, than, you know, uh, hipsters or, uh, art collectors or, or anything. Um, and, and then that's, that's, that's where, you know, what, what you're saying is, is entirely true. And, uh, also it's the luck. Uh, behind, uh, you know, s- such a simplistic, uh, design is it talks to a, a, a variety, a broad variety of, of different people. So watch, watch lovers that maybe have collected many things or everything, um, could, could find an opportunity in Oligo in, in collecting something different, something new, something fresh, uh, with a different, um, stance on, on, you know, time readability or I, w- I would say, you know, the, the floating hands would be, would be interesting for them. For someone else, it might be the, the, you know, the, um, the s- simple dial or in the case of, of, uh, my newest model, the FM01, the, the geometrical, uh, dial could be interesting. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, as, as you say, it's a lot more work because, uh, I need, I need to spread the world, <laughs> uh, across, uh, a vertigo and, and, uh, it's, 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 it's not a one, one way, uh, way of doing things. Um, but at the same time, I think it's, a, it's a, it's a good opportunity, uh, to speak to a much broader audience than having something very specific. Now I'm going to change tack a little bit now and talk about your upcoming watch, the FM01. Yes. But more interestingly, how it's different than the original models. And I think the second watch a company comes out with can in many ways tell you a lot more about that company than the first. Because as you know, the first watch, it's it's just a it's a it's a miracle that ever comes out. <laughs> when a brand <laughs> releases a watch and the website's up and the ordering process is done, packaging, oh my God, you get the packaging ready, yeah. shipping is figured out. And just to get to that point, it's it's a miracle. It's really, it's crazy that it even happens. Nah, it's true. But then, and but then really the hard, the hard work begins after you get started, really. I mean, the hard work never ends with watches. It really never ends. That's the truth. Sorry, mm. everyone. There's no, there's no like, and when I retire, no, it's, it's when I, I, you know, doctor says, if you work another day, you're going to die, yeah. you know, and you have to, you have to relax on the beach. That's, that's how you get out. Um, I think everyone's looking, you know, speaking of that, like Mr. Richard Meal, right? Richard Meal of Richard Meal. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's not what I would say someone who um, needs to stop working yet. He's not quite at that age, but he's definitely, people have retired younger than him. Um, and he has, you know, uh, been a little bit less, um, active in the events and things like that, as yeah. I understand. But he's a perfect example. Like he, he in a lot of ways is the brand. But like, it's not like you retire. Like you, you, you do what you do, and then you die, right? You, you, you that that's sort of the the way it is. But just sort of going back um, to the second watch mm-hmm. and and the hard work. Uh, this is uh, significantly more expensive than the first. Yes. Um, really seems to focus on what I think is one of your personal loves, which is beautiful movements. And I think that's, I'm guessing what you wanted. It's simple dial. Uh, you probably wanted to have a fun way of putting the hour markers in there. So yeah. it's interesting the way you did this um, spiro- spirograph technique, as I call it. Yeah. Um, 
and 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 then you took a movement which has some very lovely finishing. Again, it's it's time only hour minute, but talk a little bit about what you were trying to accomplish uh, with this watch. Um, again, at a, at a at a, a re- very real luxury price point. Yes. No. So um, the story behind the FM zero one is is um, it's it's simple, complicated, and funny at the same time. Um, uh, so basically, um, the, the movement is a Fleury, manuf- Fleury manufacture movement. Um, and Jean-Marc Fleury, who's be- behind, uh, Fleury manufacture is, is my case maker here in Geneva. So we okay. have, we have this very good relationship, um, because we've been working on, on, on the cases since the, the prototypes, uh, so is this a new Ebausch? Because this is a, this is a movement that I haven't heard about yet. Yes. No. Basically, he's he's developed uh, the movement, uh, the design of the movement, and he's manufacturing it uh, entirely uh, by himself. Well, almost entirely by himself in uh, in his workshop in Schule in Geneva. Yes. Okay. Okay, very cool. Okay, so go on. So neat, nice, nice new movement. Yes, and then so I, I was going to to uh, to his uh, to his place, uh, you know, talking about cases and then uh, placing orders and then getting getting deliveries uh, because it's it's so close to uh, to uh, to where I work. I can, I can just go there and and get the parts. He calls me. He says, "Well, it's ready." And then twenty minutes later, I'm there and I, and I get my parts. It's very easy. And, and he was, he was showing me this movement. Well, I made this movement and it's, it's what I do and now I'm, I'm selling it and et cetera. And I told him, wow, it's such a nice movement. I would love to work with it one day. Uh, but because, because it's all made in Geneva, it's all manufactured there. It's, it's a much more expensive movement. <laughs> Uh, and I, I could not afford, I, I could never afford to, to put that in, in one of my early watches. Uh, and then what happened is, um, we started discussing and I said, well, why not collaborating together? Um, would you, uh, would you agree, uh, maybe to, to put one of your, uh, demo movements in one of my watches and then we present it and, um, we launched the Oligo FM01 as a collaboration between Fleury Manufacture and Oligo. And then we start from there. And, uh, luckily enough, he said, yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? And that's how it started. So talk a little bit about this movement because most of the people listening, um, probably haven't seen it. Describe what you value about it. Um, you know, maybe some of the specifications, uh, get people excited about it. Like you're excited about it. <laughs> no, well, it's, it's, a it's a simple movement. It's basically a manual winding, uh, movement. Um, but it's, it's very interesting because it's, um, at least the, the way I present it is, um, it, it uses, um, this, this, uh, Maishor alloy, uh, which is, uh, based out of zinc. And because, uh, Jean-Marc Fleury, um, has a, a good relationship with Panater, uh, and Panater is, is the, the, the company, um, who recycles the stainless steel. So my cases are made in recycled stainless steel in short circuits in, in, in Switzerland. Uh, but they also recycle zinc. So the zinc alloy from the movements is also recycled. So it adds this, a corresponsible touch to the movement. Um, okay. And he's, he's manufacturing parts for a lot of different uh, brands. Uh, for example, I could quote, I think I could safely quote Peterman Beda. I don't know if you know them. Um, probably if I saw them. <laughs> in, in Renault, yes. Uh, they started uh, the brand with a, with a deadbeat second uh, called 1967 watch. And now okay. they have a split, uh, uh, split chrono movement, uh, that they just introduced and he's manufacturing all the movement parts for them. So he's extremely good, uh, at all of this. Uh, and so the movements is, is extremely well made and then extremely well finished. So you can see Côte de Genève, um, on, on the bridges, um, black polish stainless steel. 
uh, and then now I'm, I'm even working on the hand beveling of the bridges for the uh, for the production uh, movements. Now, even though these these movements make your your FM on one watches much more expensive than the initial uh, Oligo watches, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that the intention is for these Fleurier movements to be an even more expensive watches. Is that true? Yes. No, definitely. What are the price points that there are um, they are imagining these movements would be within well i you know to to be honest i can't i can't speak for them <laughs> uh because because they're they're selling the movements to uh, to uh, third parties uh and to different brands so in terms of um Okay. Sometimes they're like, this is going to be in watches between, you know, uh, 15 and 20,000 Swiss francs, for example. Like, like there's very specifically a mindset because again, the movement, it, it's, it's of a particular high quality. And if it costs a few thousand, uh, you know, just on the movement itself, yes. there's no way that you, if it, if it's, if the movement costs, you know, 3,000 Swiss francs, uh-huh. you can't charge 4,000 Swiss francs for the watch. No, definitely <laughs> like, not. <laughs> that's not true. So, you know the 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 price of the movement very often is what dictates the entire price of the watch. I'm not saying it's the only component, but f- you, you you will not know the price of the watch just knowing the price of the case, for example, or the dial. Yeah, no, no that's 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 completely true. Um, I think the the bracket you ju- you just gave, you know, uh, is is fairly. Uh, fairly well well estimated. <laughs> I can see you have a lot of experience. Uh, but 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 yes, no. Um, in in my case, uh, you know, I to come back to the Oligo FM zero one. I just wanted uh, to to have something with with um, you know with with a, a beautiful movement, um, a truly um, you know in house. I, I, I couldn't call it in house because I didn't develop it myself. But a truly um, manufacture movement. Uh, but still at, at a reasonable price point, not to be too crazy, uh, about it. So where do you go from here? I mean, you have the first model down, you have this upcoming model. Obviously, there's a lot of questions, right? Is this model going to be successful? Are people going to want more of it? Is mm. this the right direction? But I'm just guessing that that is, of course, a big, you know, thing that you need to figure out. But in your mind, what are some of the next steps for you or the questions that you need to answer before you can determine what those next steps are as, you know, as a brand founder now? Well, uh, you know, in terms of, of, of development of the brands, I, I basically see three different uh, pillars of, uh, of, of growth for Oligo. So the, the first one would be the, the continuation of production of the uh, um, what I could call the main model, Oligo blue, black, brown, and, and probably new colors in the future. Then the FM01, uh, collection with the manufacturing movements. And then this, this will continue. At the moment, we're starting with the first batch of 10 pieces. And then probably in, in the next day, if, if this is, uh, very uh, successful, then obviously there will be more and more coming. Uh, and then the third pillar is also um, collaboration with artists um, because, you know, the, the beauty in such a simple design is it's a very, it's, it's a very nice canvas for artists to express themselves and create something very, um, very playful, uh, very cool. Um, I, I heard that you, you, you had a, a nice podcast with Mr. Jones watches and these are watches that I absolutely love. <laughs> I know them quite well. And, you know, expressing yourself on, on three different layers between the dial and the two discs is something that I would love to, to do. And I'm, I'm lucky enough now to have uh, secured my first collaboration with, with, a, with an artist. Uh, and then hopefully we, we should be able to, uh, to announce that by the end of this year, maybe early next year. So, yeah. So the, the artistic approach is, is very compelling for you. I'm really glad to hear that because I love watches as a palette for art and expression. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know about you, but growing up, a, a lot of my world was, I'll just call them merchandise watches or souvenir watches. These were 
watches that had like action figures or movies, or whatever on them that just kids all seem to have. They were like gadget watches that were toys. I mean, the amount of weird toys watches that had little things that f- that were f- that flew off of them or that looked like animals or or funny things like that. Like there was this insane in the eighties. There was just this insane amount of watches that weren't just watches, they were something else. And I, having grown up in that environment now, love the idea of watches as being more than just this sort of nice thing to tell the time that has to be durable. Mm. I mean, I love a good tool watch, but I also love a good play watch. And I think what we've come to realize is that it's so easy to do it wrong. And we have all the collaboration watches from the last 20 years before the modern era, which is like collaboration watch, Two brands on the dial, some color we haven't made before, it's done. And then yeah. the consumer's like, no, I don't think so. We don't really want that. And they're like, oh, but you you said you love these things, consumers. <laughs> and they're like, we do love those things, just not this thing. Like, one plus one is not equaling two here, guys. We're so sorry. Um, and and I, I think that that stopped everything. But then you suddenly had these, like, successful high-end ones. And maybe it was the Snoopy thing. Mm-hmm. It started it. I don't know where it's like this Peanuts character that like no one seemed to give much of a damn about before. All of a sudden is a reason to make a Speedmaster go up yeah. and up in price. And I, again, for me, that was really the start of the modern era of the collaboration. Uh, probably. I think I think you're right. Yes. And now now you can see more and more collaborations uh, with artists. Uh, and I, I think I think it's it's, you know, it's. It's cool. For me, the the most important thing is, um, you know, have fun. Uh, Oligo is, is, is a brand. Uh, it's, it's basically, it's, it's a part of myself (laughs) that I'm putting, uh, that I'm putting out in, in the world. And a lot of myself is trying to have fun. And, and so the, the, the brand is, is all about, uh, design simplicity, also the quality of the product, the attention to details in terms of finishing, uh, in terms of, uh, cleanliness, in terms of everything. And, uh, also it, it's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be, you know, closed and very, very, uh, very cheap or very precious. It's not that it's, it's, it's fun and collaboration with art. It's makes sense in that way for me. What are some of the the questions you'd like to know from the the audience now? Because I think what's interesting is now, now as someone who has a brand, you have all these questions. Do they want this? Do they like this? I'm not saying you're going to get the answers, but I'm just curious. <laughs> like, what are some of the things that you wish you knew about consumers? Because clearly you have your desires, but there's so much str- strategy around how to execute a product, how to sell, market. Uh, a product, uh, even like to make it a limited edition, not a limited edition. Like there's yeah. so many things that like, it's just difficult to intuit. And I'm just curious, again, we're, we're basically out of time after this is <laughs> what, what are some of those current questions that you wish you could get answers to? Um, wow. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> I think you're opening, you're opening the Pandora box here. Um, so many things, <laughs> uh, you know, so many things I, w- I would love to know more. Um, it's basically, am I, because, because at the moment, Oligo is, uh, is, is almost a one man, one man show. I'm extremely lucky to be surrounded by uh, by the best people ever and I'm supported, helped, uh, and I, without them, I couldn't have done that. Um, but am I right? You know, is it the, the right decision? For example, uh, the colors are, are they cool colors or not? Uh, uh, the Oligo FM01, what, what type of finishing should I, should I apply? Should, should I, continue with the Geneva stripes and then hand beveling? Uh, is it worth for me to spend five, six hours on one bridge to hand finish it? Or is it, uh, you know, not that worth? Am I at the right price points? Well, questions are endless, basically. <laughs> as, as long as, you know, you've not sold everything. And uh, yeah, it's, it's always questions. That's that is definitely a lot of questions. Um, Olivier, 
Uh, tell everyone what your website is and then plug anything else that you want them to see, social media accounts or anything else. Now's your chance. Yes. Uh, so basically, uh, the, the, the website is oligowatches.com. Uh, that's where you can uh, see uh, the watches, discover them. You can contact me uh, there. Uh, and then you can, most importantly, order the watches directly on my website. I, I ship by DHL uh, every single watch. Um, and then Instagram, oligo underscore watches uh, would be the, the main account. And then Facebook, TikTok, um, oligo is, is, is present uh, there. Thank you so much. This has been the Superlative Podcast interview with Mr. Olivier Go of Oligo Watches. Olivier, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Arya. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at blog2watch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit a blog2watch.com. <laughs>